1910, the, there was a young girl who was proud of her father, a war veteran, who was raising her and her five siblings by himself because her mother had passed. And one day while she was in a church service, history records, listening to a sermon about the importance of mothers during a Mother's Day celebration, she decided and recognized that there was nothing to celebrate fathers. So she began to campaign for what is now known as Father's Day. In 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson made a decree to call to have a national day called Father's Day. And in 1972, it passed. And today, the world celebrates what is traditionally known as Father's Day. Amen. And I just want to take a moment just to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are present. And we just want you to take a stand and just be recognized as being a father today, if you would, just for a second. Some people are confused, amen. We're going to pray for them, amen. <laughs> but to our fathers, we appreciate you. Uh, for those who are taking their responsibility seriously. And we want to say thank you. And we want to go today to the word of God. To 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 8 through 23. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. If you stand to your feet as we go to God's Word. Those didn't know a father is a male. <laughs> we already celebrated Mother's Day. Amen. Let the men have their due. In their respect, amen. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. After reading the scripture, you will notice in your bulletin that there is an outline of today's sermon where you can follow along. For each point. Amen. The word of God reads. Once when the king of Syrah was warring against Israel. He took counsel with the servant saying. At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrenes are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness and according to the prayer of Elisha and Elisha said to them, this is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of this man that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with the sword and with the bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Today I want to tag this pericope uh, with the topic, the man of God. The man of God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time that we have together to fellowship in your presence. I thank you, Father God, that you allow marred and weak people to serve you, to please you. I thank you, Father God, that you are so awesome, that you allow us to wake each morning with a fresh set of grace and mercy, that you allow us, Father God, to have a mind to praise and to worship you. Despite our frailties, despite our weaknesses, despite our pride, our arrogance, Father God, you still look upon us with grace, with favor, and with mercy. I rejoice, Father God, because we know as your children that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against us, it shall be condemned. Father God, I pray at this time that your anointing will consume me, that you will allow my thoughts to be your thoughts, my tongue to be your mouth, Father God my words to be your words, that it will go into the hearts of every man and woman, every boy and every girl and prick their hearts for your glory and for your kingdom. Hide me so far behind the cross, Father God, that others would not see me but see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of our Lord, the man of God, the man of God of God. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about the king of Syria and that and we read about how he is once again up to no good. In chapter 5 verse 2, the Syrians were constantly terrorizing Israel by ransacking and catching them off guard. They were constantly raiding them. But how many of you know that God will only allow Satan to terrorize his people for a limited amount of time? God is the type of God that will ultimately raise up a deliverer for his people. A person that will come and fight for them to be strong for them where they are weak. And in this pericope, we see that God raises up a deliverer for for Israel, a man by the name of Elisha, a man that will help stop the, the Syrians from raiding against God's people. And we read in this text something fabulous about this man, this prophet by the name of Elijah. 
I was taken back as I was doing a reading, Second Kings, about, about Elijah's life and how in chapters 2 through 8, God uses a description, a wonderful description to describe this man of God. He called him a man of God over 25 times in six chapters. And in this chapter, we see in verses 9, in verse 10, and in verse 15 that God is giving him this label, the man of God. To be called a man of God in the Bible is a very unique and distinguished title. The term man of God is used over 70 times in the scriptures. It is mostly but not always used in the Old Testament to describe prophets. The great patriarch and deliverer of Israel, Moses, was described as the man of God. The angelic messenger sit down with a message from God to the wife of Mona, the mother of Samson, was called the mother of God. Samuel was used by God to speak judgment to the family of Eli, and, and Samuel was titled with this wonderful title, the man of God. And interesting enough, both Nehemiah and Jeremiah refer to King David as God's man. In the New Testament, the term man of God is only found three times. And is used only once to describe a specific person. Paul called Timothy the man of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 6 is verse 11 through 13. What a blessing for Timothy to be put in such a distinguished group about Paul. Timothy, being a diligent student of God's word, would have been familiar with the Old Testament term and would have felt honored to have this title bestowed upon him. What does it mean to be called a man of God? We hear people use it all the time. Oh, this man of God that I met, this, this man of God that I know. But, but what does it mean to have a title of the man of God? John MacArthur says it this way, to be titled or called the man of God. It means to be possessed by God. It means to be God's man. It means... To be God's possession under his leadership and under his control. And I am extremely excited and proud and happy that God has blessed Forest Baptist Church with some men that we can call men of God. Wives. Children. Brothers and, and sisters in Christ. We ought to let our men that we know who are men of God know that we appreciate them, allowing God to use them and them allowing themselves to be available for God's use. Man, there is no greater compliment to be received than the compliment of being seen as God's man. There's no greater compliment to be bestowed upon a man than to be considered to be a man that is owned and possessed by God. And out of all the things that you seek, young man, out of all the things that you should want to be called, the best thing that you can ever aspire to be is to be God's man. Some people take great joy out of being dis described as an athletic man. Others take great joy out of being described as a businessman. Some people, their hearts are glad when they are described as a wealthy man. Other men like just to be called an intelligent man. And God forbid some of us in here, we try our hardest to be considered a ladies man. <laughs> Out of all the things to desire, desire to be God's man. Now, God's man may be athletic. He may be business savvy. 
He may be extremely intelligent. He may be wealthy. But God's man is not possessed by his gifts or his talents. He may possess gifts or talents, but he is not possessed by his gifts or his talents. He is God's man before he is anything else. And in today's society, more than ever, what we need is men who aspire to be God's men. Parents, we need to start training up our young men to be God's men. We do our children a great disservice, our sons a great disservice when we invest in their athletic ability or talents more than we invest in them being a man of God. We do our children a, a great disadvantage, disadvantage when we stress the importance of, 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 of an education without ever trying to educate them about the one who has given them an opportunity to have an education. We do our children a great disservice when we focus on what we want them to become rather than who we want them to become. The who is way more important than the what? I want my child to be a football player when, I grow, when he grows up. So I'm going to put him in all the basketball, the football camps that I can and, and buy him the best equipment and, and make him watch football as, as much as he can so that he can grow to be a, a great football player. We're setting our child up. To be something that's not as great as what he could and should be. I remember once preaching at a church and the pastor called me to preach and I went to the church and I got the bulletin. And I noticed that on the bulletin the preach word came before everything else. And I said, this is interesting. So I asked the pastor, I said, pastor, why am I preaching so early in the service? And he said, well, there is a peewee football league in our community. And the games start at 12 o'clock. And most of our members have their sons in these games. And even the ones who don't have sons that's playing in this league want to go and support other young men in the church in this league. So they made this rule this year that the games will be moved from Saturday to Sunday. And my church came to me and they were concerned. And, and what I did is I said, well, I'll preach early in the service. And if you have a game, you can leave. And I asked them a question. I said, did any of your members go to the Pee Wee Football League and complain about them scheduling games on Sunday? I said, Pastor, did you go to the league? And, and, and voice your opinion and let them know that from the hours of 9 to 1, that's God's time. That's Sunday school time and prayer meeting time and, and worship time. But he didn't. He didn't. The church bended their beliefs around a football league. Because they were more concerned about their sons growing up to be football players and, and having fun on the football field than them valuing their time with the Lord. If we are going to raise up some radical men, we have to instill in them at an early age that God is important. That he is way more important than football, basketball, and even your education. You can have the greatest education in the world. Graduate from Brown or Harvard and in the eyes of God still be seen as a fool. I know I'm preaching. But here in this text we see a man who is described as the man of God. As God's man. 
And he has some wonderful qualities in this text that we want to pull out and that we want to focus on. And the first quality of the man of God or a man of God is found in verse 9. The Bible says, but the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. And he said, beware that you do not pass this place. For the sirens are going down there. Do, but the man of God send word to the king of Israel. We see here that Elisha is a prophet. A prophet is a person who served as a channel of communication between man and God. And they served literally as God's mouthpiece. And as we look at this text, we see that, that God had given Elijah a word to tell the king of Israel because this foreign king was seeking to ramsack Israel, to raid Israel, to terrorize Israel. And God gave Elijah a word to tell Elijah to go and tell the king of Israel this is going on so that Israel would not continue to be terrorized. Now, in order for Elijah to speak a word, Elijah had to take time to listen to God's word. And the first quality of a man of God is that a man of God is a man of God's word. A man of God is a man of God's word. Elijah had a word from God because he took time to listen to God. Men, we cannot be men of God if we don't ever spend time in God's word. In 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 7, we see a woman who is distressed. The prophet earlier in her life spoke a word to her because she took so good care of him and told her that you will have a son. And she laughed when he told him because she, her husband was of an old age and it was something that she wanted, but she just did not believe it. And the Bible says that the next year around the same time that God blessed her with a son. Well, the son grew up and one day he was out working in the fields. The Bible says that he was reaping. And as he was reaping, he got an excruciating headache and he cried, my head, my head, and he fell down and he died. The woman then took the son and she took him into a room that she had prepared and left off limits for the prophet. She looked at her husband and at her servants and says, go get me an animal and, and give me some food because and, and, I'm going on a journey to find the prophet. And the Bible says that she went on a journey to find the prophet, but where she went was to the mount called Carmel. And there she found the prophet of God. Now the Mount Carmel was not a mountain where people lived. It wasn't a place where there was homes in, on top of the mountain and there was all this uh, life on top of the mountain. It was a place where people went when they had to hear from God. Elijah is on the Mount Carmel listening for a word from God. And when the women, woman showed up, he had a word for her. And man, we've got to be like Elijah. We've got to be in a place where we can hear God. If we are going to be called a man of God above all things, we have to value God's word. We have to value God's word more than we value Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James' word. We have to see God's word as our very foundation. He was found on a mountain. She went looking for the prophet. And she didn't find the prophet in some bar. She didn't find the prophet on some couch. She didn't find him at a sporting event. She went to the mountain, to the high place, because she knew that the prophet communed with God. What is the probability of our families, our wives, our children, in a time of distress, if they need to find us, what is the probability that they will find us in the presence of God? What's the probability of, of, of a woman finding a man in God's word, basking in his presence, saying, speak, Lord, I'm listening. 
What's the probability of, of a woman or of a child going to a man and, and seeing that he had been with God and that his face is radiant with God? It was a high probability for Elisha because he was constantly in God's word. Israel depended on hearing a word from God, from Elijah. And husbands, our families should depend on us having a word for God for them. They should be able to depend on us for vision. They should be able to depend on us for comfort from God's word. They should be able to depend on us because they know that we have spent precious time with the Lord. Will someone close to you in your life, number one, will they come to you in times of distress with confidence knowing that you had the wisdom of God to impart. Number two, in coming to you, would they walk away in confidence knowing that whatever you just said, they ought to listen to and obey. The Bible says that the king of Israel sought Elijah and, and Elijah went to the king of Israel and told him what God had revealed to him. And the king of Israel put his whole military strategy around his word. A man that's in God's word is a man that's dependable. A man that's in God's word is a man that you can count on him coming through and him being there. When a man is in God's word, he don't have to swear on everything every time he says something. Oh, baby, I promise I'll be there at 3 o'clock. I promise. I swear to God. Because you know that he values God's voice. Doesn't have to swear to God because she knows that he's wearing God, that he's in God, that, that everything that comes from him is done in reverence, fear, and respect. Today, we have a hard time, men, getting in God's word because we are distracted by other things. We stay in a time of iPods and, and, and iPads and iPhones and iBusy and iLazy and, <laughs> and I want to watch sports. And, but what God is seeking is an I word man. I'm a, a man of God's word, a man that values in hearing God's word, a man that values in reading God's word, a man that values meditating on God's word, and a man that values walking out God's word. What is the probability that someone will come to you, oh man of God, and find you in God's presence versus on the couch or fishing or fixing a car? We must value God's word because if we don't value God's word, what's going to happen is going to be tragedy. If Elijah was not a man of God's word, if he was not found on that mountain in God's presence, the whole nation of Israel would have been terrorized. Their women would have been raped. Their kids would have been taken captive. They might have been beat. Everything that they worked for would have been ripped away. And when we are not in God's word, when we're not feasting in his presence, our families are being terrorized. Our families are being raided. Our families are being taken apart by the things of this world. Therefore, we must find our satisfaction in the word of God. The word of God is something else. When you get in the word of God, you know that it's an experience like none other. When you're in the word of God, sometimes people will even get upset and mad at you because they're trying to figure out how you all up in their business. The Bible says that this king of Syria, that, that, that he got upset. He said, wait a minute, how is it that Israel always knows which way I'm going? And his servant says, listen, it's not one of us that's tipping them off. It's a man of God in Israel. Someone who has a word of God. Someone who is in God's presence. And they said, this man is able to hear what's going on in your bedroom. Have you ever had somebody get upset with you? Because you had a word from God and they said, wait a minute, somebody done told you something because I don't see how you worked that out and how you came up with that. And, and you look at him and say, I'm just saying what God has told me, what he put on my heart and what he told me to tell you. Yes. Connected with God. Yes. I always love when people get upset at me 
because they think that I took the time all week long, 25 hours to construct a sermon just for them. Had that happen over a dozen times where people will actually get upset and say, you, you heard this, you heard, and you went back home and you constructed a sermon. Sweetheart, I love you, but I'm not crazy about you. I'm just going to be honest. The only person who I would think about that much is my wife. That's God doing his God thing through his word. And up in my bedroom. So somebody's hearing what's going on while I'm in my bed. Probably got nervous after that. Can't you see the king? Instead of whispering those street sweet nothings, he's writing paper notes now. But when a man is connected to God, he's got some discernment. No, baby, I don't think we should go that way with this route. I think the Lord's put it on my heart for us to go here. And sweetie, I know you don't understand it right now, but I've been in God's presence and God is doing something up in here. And I'm just going to need you to trust me right up in here, right about right now. Man of God is a man that's constantly in his word, that's constantly looking for a word from God. And we have the word of God is so good. David talked about how good the word of God was in Psalms 19. He described God's word as being perfect and sure and right and clean and pure. He said that it's like fine gold. He said it's sweeter than honey dripping off a honeycomb. When you spend time in God's word, you'll know that nothing else compares. The basketball game don't compare to the joy that I get when I get a word from God. When I know that God is speaking and working in me, what LeBron James does seems so fable and so small. When I, I know that God is working in me and his word is all up in me and, and, and just staying there, I, I feel a joy that words can't express. And I want you to know that if you don't have joy, all you got to do is go to his word. Psalm 16 and 11 says, in the presence of the Lord, there is the fullness of joy. It's the last time you spent some time at Mount Carmel. David went on and told us the results of God's word. He said that the results of God's word is that the soul is constantly being revived. He, he said that his soul, when he gets in the commandments of God, is experiencing a revival. Every day is an opportunity for revival when you're in the word of God. Every day is an opportunity for a vacation when you're in the word of God. He went on to say that being in God's word, uh, one receives wisdom from the Lord. If you don't know, men, what to do and where to go, go to God's word. The Bible says that his word is a light unto my path and a, a lamp unto my path and a light unto my foot. When, when you get in God's word, you'll see more clearly. David went on to say that the word of God enlightens the eyes. Have you ever needed a breakthrough? Have you ever needed to see clearly? Have you ever needed God to do something and you went in your personal devotion time to God's word and all of a sudden your eyes were open? All of a sudden you can see what's going on. Have you ever had an issue in your life? You know, one of those things that you don't want to share with somebody else. Because you're too embarrassed to say it and, and you went to the table of context and you decided to do a topical study about the issue. And as you begin to study about the issue, the Lord, the Lord begins to work with you and show you how you need to change and, and how you need to react and, and convict you. And all of a sudden you come out a new person. When you go to God's word, your eyes are enlightened. Men, our desire must be as men of God to receive a compliment from God that says, you are possessed by me. Ezra received a, a great compliment as recorded in his book. And the Bible says that Ezra, he had a heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach God's statues and the rules of, of, of Israel. He not only studied it, but he taught it and he lived it. Apollos and Acts is described as a man that was competent in scriptures. Or like how the King James says, he says that the man Apollos was a man mighty in God's word. 
The greatest compliment that a man can receive is, is that he is in God's word and that he knows God's word. The second quality we see in this text is that a man of God is a man of faith. A man of God is a man of faith. Look at the text real quick, verses 15 through 16. Verses 15 through 16. The word of God says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Then Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In verse 17, the Bible says that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. King of Syria heard about this man named Elijah, and he put out a special task force to say, Where is this man? Men of God, Satan is after you. He wants you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you because he knows if he can get you, he can get the whole body. The Bible says that we are the head, amen, of our homes. If Satan can distract a man, if Satan can get a man off his game, then he can affect a whole generation. And that's why even young men, Satan is after our young men. He's not just after those who are married. He's after your potential. He knows that if God gets a hold of you and you get a hold of God like Jacob, then there's going to be some trouble in the camp. So he's doing everything he can to bring pop-ups in your life. You know what a pop-up is, don't you? About 10 years ago, before we got all sophisticated with the computers, we used to have more pop-ups than we do now. But a pop-up is something when you're trying to work on a computer or the internet, all of a sudden something just pops up. And then you hit the pop-up, then another pop-up pops up. Then you hit that pop-up, another pop-up pops up. And before you know it, you forgot about what you was originally trying to do. You out here filling out stuff for Tashibi, trying to get a free computer. And you forgot what your purpose was. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to send as many pop-ups, young man, as he can to you. He wants to get you off the task that God has for you because he knows if I can get them to waste time, if I can get them to get mixed up in some stuff that's no good, if I can get them to forget about what they have been taught at home, then I can take their life all the way around here and mess them up so bad that they don't know what to do. But God wants some men to recognize that he has a divine call for them, that he has called them to be men of faith. Elisha here is being sought after by this nation. And the Bible says the king comes around Elisha and Dothan. And Elisha's servant wakes up early in the morning. And he goes on a walk and he sees that there are some horses and there are some chariots. And he knows that God has anointed and blessed this, his master, the one who's he, whom he's serving. So he goes back and says, Master, there's chariots all around us. But Elisha, because he's a man of God, he doesn't look at the circumstance. He looks and sees what God can do and what he is able to do. The Bible says that God opened Elisha's eyes and he didn't just see the man's chariots, but he saw horses and, and men on chariots that were on fire. God allowed him to see into the angelic realm and to see that he was not alone. A man of God is a man who doesn't just look at the situation, but he looks through eyes of faith and says, yes, this bill is on the table right now, baby. But we're doing everything we can to, to be a good steward and to, to do what God has called us to do. So this isn't our bill. This is God's bill. We done paid our tithes. We done stepped out on faith. And we know that something's getting ready to happen. I can't tell you exactly what. But something is getting ready to happen. And that's what Elijah said to the servant. He says, look, there are more with us than there are that's with them. And a man of God is a man of faith that's able to look past what's going on and say that God will make a way. It's something good about them type of men. When the world seems to be crumbling, they stand and say, yeah, but the kingdom of God shall not be shaken. When things seem to be unfolding, they have confidence in what God is doing. I like what Psalms 112 says. It says, praise the Lord. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. 
Then he goes on and talks some more. And then in verse 7 he says, he is not afraid of bad news. That's something right there. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. Why in the world would a man not be afraid of bad news? Because he has faith. And you know what faith can stand for? Faith should stand for fear ain't in this house. I know who I serve. I know how good God is. It ain't no reason for me to get afraid. I've got faith, the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. I've got faith because I know that without faith it's impossible to please God. I know that God can make a way. He told me if I seek after him and seek his face, and anything I ask it shall be given. A man of God is a man that's about God's word, but he's a man of faith. You didn't like that definition? I'll give you a more... Grammatically correct definition where ain't ain't in there. Amen. Faith can also stand for forsaking all. I trust him. Forsaking all. I trust him. I don't trust myself or my own ability, but I trust the one who created me. First John 4 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. If you're a man of God, walk with your head up knowing that God will keep you. He will protect you. Psalms 112 goes on to say, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. It's something about a man that trusts in God and leans not to his own understanding. In all his ways, he's acknowledging God, knowing that he will direct his path. He goes on to say, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid. He will not be moved. Isn't that a good thing to know that if we are in God's word, God calls us blessed, and then he gives us a characteristic that says, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to fall. I'm going to be steady because I know that I serve a God that's steady, a God that will not fall. Even if things are being taken from me like Job, I know that at the end, God's going to work it out, and he'll give me a double portion for my trouble. He'll bless me. Beyond compared. But what would have happened if Elijah did not go to God's word? Israel would have been ransacked. What would have happened if Elijah did not have faith? His servant and him probably would have had a nervous breakdown. When we don't go to God's word, our family gets ransacked. When we don't have faith, we break down and we're no good to those who are around us. But the third quality of a man of God is that a man of God is a man of prayer. A man of God is a man of prayer. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 17 through 18 and verse 19 through 20 shows that Elisha was a praying man. Elisha was a praying man. The word of God says, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Elisha was a praying man. In this text, we see that Elisha prays three times. And everything that he prays for, God 
answered. We see that he prays that the Lord would open up the eyes of his servant and allow him to see chariots on fire, allow him to see the angelic beings, allow him to see that God has not forsaken them, that Satan cannot destroy them. And the Bible says that he prayed for this servant. A man of God is a man that is praying for those around him. He is a man that is constantly saying, Lord, open the eyes of my friend, open the eyes of my homeboys, open the eyes of my brother, open the eyes of my wife, open the eyes of my children, allow them to see you more clearly, allow them to fall in love with you more and more. A man of God is someone who don't just pray for themselves but they are constantly praying for other people. Praying for them is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Prayer needs to be a necessity for us and not a luxury or something we go to only when we need something. I wish I wish I had a church in here that knew the power of prayer. That prayer, when we pray, things happen. That's what John Wesley, the famous theologian, said. He says, prayer, when, when things happen, it is because it is an answer to prayer. Everything that happens in the natural is because God has done something because somebody has prayed that he would work. God works when we pray. Elijah prayed, Lord, open the eyes of this man, of this servant. And the Bible says that this servant Serving eyes were open. Not only that, then he prayed, Lord, close the eyes of my enemies. Blind them. Allow them not to see. And whoop, there it is. God allowed their eyes to be blinded. God allowed them to go into darkness. And I just imagine that because Elijah was such a man of faith, that right after he prayed, he didn't wait. He just started walking in faith. I just imagine. He said, Lord, close their eyes. And as he's praying, he's walking. He's going to approach because he knows that he serves a God that answers prayer. He knows that all I have to do is bend my knees and things will happen. And God's looking for some men that's going to commune with them, that's going to talk to them, that's going to be real with them and say, God, I need you. I need you to come through like I've always needed you. And they get up from their prayers and start walking in faith saying, I already prayed about it. It ain't no point of me worrying about it. We're going to go ahead and praise God on credit. If you want to use a credit card, praise God on credit. You don't have to go and take out the plastic. Just go start walking in faith and saying, I know my God is going to do it because I'm his daughter. I'm his son. And if I'm his daughter of his son and I'm praying his will, then I know he's going to come through. Because the Bible says that he shall supply not some of my needs, but all my needs. I'm not going to lose my hair over this bill. I'm not going to lose my hair over this child, Lord, open this child's eyes and let him see. The praying man follows the example of Christ. Christ was always found somewhere praying. Prayed so much that the disciples came to him and said, Father, don't teach us to do miracles, Jesus. Don't teach us to, to preach like you. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, go ahead, let's, let's bow our heads for a moment and let's approach the throne of grace. Our Father which art in heaven. He didn't go to the Father of Abraham, Isaac. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus knew how to get a prayer through and he taught us how to get one through there's three reasons why most people don't pray first reason why most people don't pray is because we've got too much pride we think that we can work it out a person who is not constantly praying is a person who finds themselves sufficient. They, they're self-sufficient. They think that, that, that they can work it out. I, I don't have to pray about this because I, I can work it out or I'm going to try to fix it. But I'm just going to testify about my own life, Minister Maceo. I found out that when I try to fix stuff, I always make it worse than what it was to begin with. So I've learned to stop trying to fix stuff and start calling the ultimate maintenance worker. God, come and fix this for me. I've got a problem right around this area. Can you, can you come and fix it? And, and God will come and fix it. 
in the natural, you shouldn't trust me to build nothing. I've built some small things now in me and Lady Amber's home, and she's growing in some more confidence, but, but I'll be honest. We first moved in together, I was real nervous with that ham. And if, but if the project was big and I knew that it would cause my family to hurt or fail, I would have got on the phone real quick and called somebody who knew what they were doing. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be before the Lord every day calling somebody that knows what they're doing. He's been around for a mighty, mighty, mighty long time. This isn't the first time he's seen a heart broken. This isn't the first time he's seen someone confused or worried. He's been around for a mighty long time. Not only pride keeps us from praying, but I found out that the fact that we are, the reason why we're not praying is because we're constantly questioning God's effectiveness. We question his effectiveness. If we understood the power of prayer, we would pray a lot more. If we understood how effective prayer was, prayer would be our first choice and not a later option. If we understood what God did with prayer, we would run to him before we ran to mama or daddy. If we understood the power of prayer, we'll spend less time talking about somebody and more time praying for that body. If we understood the power of prayer. Some man of God by the name of John Wesley who has contributed to having started or, or being the pioneer of the modern Methodist movement. And they said that after he had died, when, when people had come to visit and see his home, that besides his bed, there was a, a dent in some wood because his knees was constantly bent praying there. He had a secret place, a closet that he went to. And, and when he died, people came just to see how his knees put a dent in this little prayer vestibule area. And I just wonder, man, is there somewhere around your house where some carpet is worn? Is there somewhere around your house where, where your wife has to complain and say, baby, don't pray right there no more. You see this mark right here is messing up the carpet. You're going to have to find another room. Is there somewhere where you have where you can go and get along with God and just cry out to him and talk to him and let him know how you really feel? Praying is not praying. God, give me what I want. But when we pray, we're saying, God, help me to be okay with whatever you say. Prayer. Last reason why most people don't pray is because they're preoccupied with less important things. Put a whole bunch of other things over prayer. When we went to this mission trip, we allowed and asked this church to join us in prayer. And on Wednesday night, everybody came in here and, and prayed for the missionaries. And even on Sunday morning, some Sunday school classes prayed for our request as we posted our request. And, and on the last day of our mission trip in Costa Rica, we sat around a table and we evaluated one another's prayers. And after reading and evaluating one another's prayers, we saw that God had answered every prayer that was to be answered in the present. Every single prayer. That's the God you serve. The last point, the last quality of a man of God. The last quality of a man of God. Final quality. A man of God is a man of love. A man of God is a man of love. Now the word love does not appear in this pericope. But it is shown throughout. As we read this, we see that, that it does not appear here, but it is shown throughout. As we look at verse 17, we see that Elijah takes the time that he is investing in a young man. He is investing in his servant. He is praying for his servant. He is discipling his servant. A man of God is a person that is constantly pouring into other people. 
He is constantly concerned about other people. Elisha could have simply went on and said, listen, young man, you just you just not on game. You, you need to watch and, and learn and, and listen. But he didn't do that. He 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 ministered to this young man with grace and with love. And, and he prayed for him. He prayed that God would open his eyes. A man of God is a person that is constantly seeking to help his fellow brothers in Christ rise to the next level. He is pouring into other young man. He's a God of love. He doesn't want to see the other men or young men go down the same road that he traveled. So he's going to take a second every now and then to disciple and pour into another brother because he loves them. That's a great thing about, about a man of God is that his love is authentic, is genuine. Romans chapter 5 and 5 tells us that, that once we become saved, that God pours love into our heart through the Holy Spirit. A man of God can love like nobody else. Young women that's seeking to be married, that's waiting on your husband to find you, do me a favor. Make sure he's a man of God. Because a man of God has that authentic love, that real love, that I'm not just loving you because you've got that Coca-Cola shaped body. I'm not just going to love you because I like your hair. I love you because God loves me and I want to show that love that he loved me to you. He, I want to show you how he loves his church. Make sure that the person that you are seeking or hooking up with, make sure he's a word man. Make sure he's a faith man. Make sure he's a praying man. And don't just ask the question and close your eyes. Look and see if he's doing those things. Oh, I read my word every day, boo. Well, tell me a scripture. Tell me something. What's your favorite verse? Well, I don't really have a favorite. It's all good. Well, tell me your favorite chapter. I don't really have a favorite chapter. Well, tell me what you read last week. I really don't remember. I read so much. No, if he's a man of God, he's going to have something to say. Make sure he is in love with God. If he's not in love with God, I'm telling you, you are putting yourself down a road that you don't need to travel. Make sure the man loves God. If he can't get a prayer through, if he's never praying, why would you trust him with leading your family? He's unstable. Double-minded. The only person who can truly lead somebody else is someone who is being led. If that person is not being led by God, he can't lead you. Christian women dating thugs. that's going to pray and it will save you a whole lot Lord help me please later son find a man that's going to live justly find a man that loves God and wants to provide for his family the right way find a man that genuinely is concerned about you man of God is a man of love let me show you how deep Elisha's love went. It went so deep that once he came to the enemies, after he prayed that God would blind the enemies, he took the enemies to a place, to a, the camp in Israel. And the Bible says that the king of Israel came to Elisha. And after God prayed and allowed, said, Elisha prayed, he said, Lord, open up their eyes. So that they could see where they at. They saw that they were not where they were. And the Bible says that the king of Israel came to him and said, what should we do with these men? Should we kill them? Elijah was such a man of love and compassion. He said, listen, if you had found them in war, would you kill them? He says, no, you wouldn't kill them. If, if a man was found in war, they would come back to the other country and become a slave or, or work in their country become property of that country. They wouldn't kill him. Elisha says, don't kill him. 
Don't kill him. A man of God is a man who's not going to hold grudges. It's a man who's going to forgive. He's a, a man that is constantly looking to love his enemies. Elijah showed here the love of Christ. He poured into people who did not deserve to be poured into. He spared people whom some would say he had a right to kill. Man of God has love flowing out of him. It's not vindictive. It's not vengeful. He's constantly even praying for his enemies. That's what Jesus said. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And if a man of God is in love with God, he's setting a tone in his house. Those who are in his house are, are just loving too because they see the love that he loves with. Those who are in his house are, are forgiving too because they see the forgiveness that he leads with. His wife isn't going to hold a grudge too long because she knows that, that he hadn't hold, didn't hold a grudge against her. His wife is going to pray for those who are constantly using them rather than talking about them because they see him praying for them. A man of God is a man that is filled with God's love because he is a man that's constantly looking to the example of Christ. He's a man who has his eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he sees Christ's example as his example. He sees Christ being hung to a tree by his enemies and, and, and being taunted and told by his enemies, come off that tree. If you're really God, come off that tree and, and show us that you're really God. But rather than coming off that tree and showing that he was really God, he stayed up on that tree in order that they would have a relationship with God. A man of God is one who is constantly looking to the example of Christ. When he finds himself in a situation of temptation, he is able to withstand that temptation because he knows God's word. He knows that God's word is like a double-edged sword. And he's not speaking his word. He's speaking God's words because he knows that in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, when tempted, he didn't speak his own words. He spoke God's words. When we stop speaking God's word and Pac's word and, and other people's word and start speaking God's word, we know that something has to give. The Bible says that we are supposed to be putting Satan on the run, not Satan putting us on the run. When a man stands up and says, this is my house, he puts Satan on the run. He makes Satan frustrated. Just like the king of Syria. Can you see how frustrated this king must have been as he was seeking to destroy Israel? He's trying to destroy Israel, but he can't get to Israel because of the man of God. And he was just mad and frustrated. And that's the way I want to make Satan. I want to make Satan so furious. I want to make him so mad. I want to constantly irritate and annoy him. I want him to be in hell going back and forth, talking to his imp, saying, I don't know what to do with Forrest back this church because there's a man of God there and that man of God is in his word that man of God is a man of faith that man of God is a man of prayer and that man of God is a man of love and you ought to stand up with me today brothers and say I will be a man of God I don't want to be a businessman before a man of God I want to be a man of God that's about his business I don't want to be an intelligent man and, and not be a man of God I want to be a man of God that is is intelligent and you may not know arithmetic geometry or anything else but if you know God's word and you know that it can work for you then you're an intelligent man I don't care how smart you are if you don't know Jesus Christ the Bible says you are a fool you are living foolishly but if you know Jesus Christ your IQ don't have to be 160 for God to see you as intelligent because you've already made the smartest choice you can make. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the men who have made that choice, who have confessed their sins, who have given their life to Jesus, they are some smart men. Brother Maceo, you're a smart man. You're a smart man because you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. Brother Cowherd, you're a smart man. You're a smart man because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Brother Deacon, you're a smart man, Deacon Pollard, 
because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. A man of God, my deacons, is a man that has surrendered to God and says, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. However you want to use me, you can use me. You can take my plans and make them your plans. You can take my mouth and make them your mouth. You can take my feet and make them your feet. You can take my hands and make them your hands. You can take my money and make it your money. You can take my family and make it your family. I'm so glad that God is pleased with those whom he possessed. The man of God is a real man. The man of God is a real man. Don't waste your time, single women, seeking anything other than a man of God. And don't date nobody on credit. I'm a missionary. He's not saved yet, but God going to save him one day. I'm a missionary. You went to Costa Rica, and I'm a missionary to him. missionary day you confident that God's going to save him? wait let him save him. then marry let us pray gracious father I pray that you will help the men of this congregation to continue by God's by Christ's grace to, to grow into being men of God Pray, Father God, that above all things, Lord, that we will seek and desire to be your men, possessed and owned by you. Help us, Father, to see that for those who are husbands, that even though we're leading, Father God, there's a lot of pressure that's not on us because you are the one that's leading. That if we just turn to you and turn away from ourselves, that you will make everything all right. For that man, Father God, who is trying to seek pleasures and everything but you, who, who, who finds joy in calling themselves a, a ladies' man, a, a money man, but who does not find themselves receiving joy from communion with you. I pray, Father God, that you would help them to see how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how mighty you are, how great you are. And that riches, fame, and wealth, and all these other things that they will fade, but you will never fade. Help us, Father God, to grow to be men of God. Amen. At this time.